I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is July 19th, and we have 16,237,961 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 649,186 deaths. And I got a great show for you this week. That's right. At the top of the show, in The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be doing an article from Letters from the Devil, uh, dated August 8th, 1971. In the Infernal Informant, I've got two articles for you as usual. Three wounded after weapon fired with NFAC demonstrators gathered in Baxter Park. And as co concerns about voting build, the Supreme Court refuses to step in. In the Creature Feature, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a thoughts, a, a brief, if you will, on Love on the Spectrum, a series on Netflix. Okay, Valeria, great to see you. Good morning. William, how you doing, man? It's always good to see you. Uh, nice. Nefarious. How you doing? Zachary, what's up, man? Okay, okay, okay. I know it's early, and so not everyone's going to be available to be watching the show live, and I'm okay with that. I hope you are, too. Vashiri, good to see you. Um, the fact is, is we're uh, Cameron is coming over, and we're recording another uh, commentary for tomorrow. So I have to have this early, or else it's not going to come up at all. So... Better early than never, I guess is the mantra I'm, I'm using today. Um, so for those of you who have not watched the uh, daily vlog that I put out about this specifically, um, I'm done. I'm finished transferring all of the reading aloud videos to this channel. So you will no longer be hit every single morning with nine new video notifications. You're welcome. <laughs> it took a while. I appreciate your patience. But if you turned off the bell so that you wouldn't be notified every time one of those went up, you can turn it back on because I'm done. And we want you to be notified whenever a new daily uh, vlog or some other video is released, right? You want to get in the chat. You want to say hi. I hope. <laughs> um, 194, what up, man? Okay. So uh, right now I'm in the middle of Reading Aloud Classics. Uh, the American experience, right? So this is a, a collection of writings, whether they're public speeches or whether they're essays or government documents in some particular cases about the American experience, right? Now I'm in the middle of the Federalist Papers. That is taking me quite some time and it's going to take me much more time than I anticipated ever like actually taking into the future. That being said, as soon as that's finished, I'm going to pick up where I left off another Evil Live episode, and I'm going to be playing Bioshock Remastered. That's right. They went back and they, they updated the graphics and stuff, so that should be fun. But again, it's not going to be for a little while, so a little bit of patience, and, and we'll get there eventually. Um, today I'm meeting the last episode of the book club in concern with The Fire From Within, Magister Nemo's book. We're finishing up all of the essays, and that means that next week we're not going to have a book club, but it also means that we're starting a brand new book 
Lords of Chaos on the 9th of August. Okay. So if you want to get in on this and you want to be a part of the book club, go to my website, sign up to the group, because I'm going to need your email address to send you the invite, and uh, read chapters one through four. And then I will send out an invite on August 9th, and you can join us for the discussion of Lords of Chaos. I never read it. I've always wanted to. I figure it's as good a time as any, right? How you doing, Marcy? Thanks for joining us live. Okay, so that's all I really had in opening show notes. Um, I've got some fried chicken to put together, so let's just dive right in, shall we? The devil's advocate. Okay, let me throw up the image just for a wee bit of fun. Now, this is Letters from the Devil. It's a collection of the original article that Anton LaVey published uh, in the early 70s, and it was put together um, primarily by Underworld Amusements. Um, I believe he had some uh, help with a friend as well. But ultimately, they collected all the issues, scanned in as many as they could find anyway, and, and put out this collection. It is available on Underworld Amusements right now. I highly recommend you go pick it up, because it's not just the Dear Abby-styled reactions to letters being sent in by Anton Zander LeVay, but it's also surrounded in some really great advertisements and alternate articles that were surrounding the Letters from the Devil article itself. And so it's a sort of time capsule, if you will. It's really great. But anyway, this August 8th, 1971 issue, hey Kate, how you doing? It's a very good one. So it starts off by a gentleman named Jim writing the doctor uh, after having discussed, discussed Satanism with another Jim, right? Uh, he then ha started having this sequence of dreams that he went back to that first gym and asked him what he thought. Uh, ultimately, that gym told him that, look, this just means this is your future in Satanism uh, that you could realize. But this gym started getting cold feet and he was afraid that he had sold his soul to the devil unknowingly. And so he reached out to a Catholic priest and he started talking with the Catholic priest, realizing that that really wasn't the avenue he wanted to go down anyway, uh, either. He started having another dream about Satanism. And in this particular dream, he had this vision of this amorphous voice in this cloudy environment, right? This atmosphere that told him uh, basically to open your eyes. There's no need to be afraid anymore. Uh, witness the new glory of the world, presumably of Satanism or something. So he writes the doctor, asking him, can I come and study under you so you can teach me? Or could I start my own version, my own chapter of the Church of Satan here in Cincinnati, Ohio? So that's the setup. <laughs> very pretentious, um, very occult Nicky. I would expect nothing less over someone writing in, asking to be a student of the doctor. Um, but the doctor's response was just awesome, right? So he says, um, you are probably meaning 
Jim Guthrie, who was a pseudo-Satanist who sacrificed animals in the pseudo-Satanic group that he was the leader of. And he uh, said that he was the priest in this Church of Satan in the uh, Cincinnati area. All of it was bullshit, and it was reacted to by Reverend Lawrence Green at the time, who submitted a rebuttal in different newspapers once the story was picked up on a national scale. So he reiterates, um, Mr. Lawrence Green, uh, about how this is antithetical to Satanism, the idea of sacrificing animals, and the doctor stipulates that the realities are that they, this is just another, yet another pseudostanic group riding the coattails of the newly formed, newly realized Church of Satan, trying to capitalize on the, I don't know, the, the authority that is inherent in the organization that created the religion, right? The fact that they don't sacrifice or they don't even have other branches of the Church of Satan is proof that this is a pseudostanic group. But more importantly... Um, they're actually ruining the reputation of the Church of Satan. And so he's reiterating all of this information uh, to the original author, Jim, uh, from his letter. And he's saying, look, you don't ask me if you want me to teach you. It's my choice on who I teach. And you have to prove yourself worthy. And so he's uh, basically saying, look, read the Standard Bible. Join the Church of Satan. Let us monitor your progress as a Satanist, and then I'll let you know if you're worth my time to have any type of conversation with. Pretty fantastic perspective to have as the doctor, right? But you kind of also, it's pragmatic, uh, pragmatic. You have to have that perspective as a doctor. You get so many nuts riding in or trying to reach out and contact you, hoping that they're going to see Satan or something like that, right? Um, and all of that is very well and good and interesting, but what I took away from this uh, initial letter and response to the letter was this idea that, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but certainly it's anecdotal in my experience, you every once in a while run across a pseudo-Satanist who, through ignorance, believes that what they're practicing or what they're believing is actually Satanism, and they reach out to the church of Satan or to other Satanists with this flawed understanding of what the religion is and ask to be a part of it, right? But the doctor is saying that just because you come from that place of ignorance and you are absolutely wrong about what this religion is, it does not mean that you cannot ultimately be a productive member of the organization or a productive individual Satanist in your own right. And that's what I thought was so interesting about it. It's that, yes, we're going to always run across pseudo-Satanists because of individual stupidity or individual ignorance to what Satanism actually is. But that doesn't mean that those individuals, upon being educated or corrected, cannot then be productive members of society. And ultimately, that's what Satanism is all about. Being a productive member in your life, a productive Satanist, realizing real-world success, that is what it's all about, the individual experience, not a collective understanding about that individual. So maybe just keep that in the back of your cranium next time you run across one of these pseudo-Satanists online, or maybe just someone who doesn't fully understand. Because their current stance in ignorance or stupidity does not condemn them to a life of never being a Satanist. 
they may actually be, of course they may not, and they may just move on about their life, which, you know, do your thing. Um, but they may actually learn to be productive individuals. I just think that maybe you should keep that in mind. <laughs> I always find it interesting because there's a lot of shit talking and there's a lot of trashing about people who don't necessarily understand the religion. And there's a lot of assumptions wrapped in on that. Like they never will understand it or they're not worth the time. And ultimately, whether it's worth your time as an individual is entirely up to you. No one else can say that. Your time is very valuable. We don't have a lot of it on this doggone rock. But that doesn't mean that individual is always going to be that ignorant. At one point, we were all ignorant to Satanism until we read and we understood, right? So it's not a love thy brother or love the pseudo conversation, but it is certainly don't judge the book by the cover because there's revised editions ultimately, I guess. That's my take on it anyway. That's what I took away from the article. Either way, this is a wonderful collection of articles and truly undefiled wisdom from Herr Doctor himself. Uh, so you, you, if you don't already own it, you really, really should. I mean, it's great. It really is. Um, <laughs> thank fuck I, was the only, I wasn't the only one with uh, dueling religions on the beginning of my official joining. You just wanted to meet Lucifer. <laughs> That's funny. You stay positive when talking to someone who doesn't fully grasp Satanism or has been reading other Satanic materials and then finds me online to talk about. It. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. So, see, Zachary says um, something that I, I think is profound in relation to Satanism. Uh, I found it easy to tell when someone's wearing. A religion opposed to personifying it there's the tongue-in-cheek obvious you're literally garbed in wearing the religion but you're also using the religion as an identity or as an excuse rather than embodying what that religion is and moving forward in your life i think that is such a wonderful concept to a concept that is essential to grasp as a Satanist, right? Because we have to be able to identify those around us for who and what they actually are, not what they're purporting to be. I mean, anyone who practices lesser magic should understand that basic principle. But more importantly, because in the eyes of the grander public, the individual's misrepresentation of Satanism stains everyone. Now, the stain can be washed away and it can be removed, yes. But for the duration of that stain, however long it may last, it's there. And so, clearly, we want to clarify. That's why we have an organization that, you know, addresses the media at large, as it were, when something comes up that is absolutely incorrect or antithetical to Satanism, and clarifies what actually this religion is all about, which is very important. But it is incumbent upon us through the greater satanic conversation in order to do that on our individual levels as well, right? So you don't have to, but... It helps. <laughs> Clarify. Wipe away that stain. <laughs> Wash that pseudo right out of your hair. All right, people. <laughs> all right, that's all I wanted to talk about in the devil's advocate. I just thought it was interesting. On the face is, you know, one of those just kind of expected uh, letters that underneath had a bit more meaning um, that I wanted to explore a little bit or at least express. 
So, thanks. Let's do a little bit of uh, Infernal Informant, shall we? So great. All right, let's throw up this first article. What are we talking about? We're talking about this one. Three wounded after a weapon fired while NFAC demonstrators gathered in Baxter Park. I had a link to a couple different articles in this in order to get the full context of this story. It started off very surface, uh, and then it, it sort of dives in a little bit deeper. But there's a message not unlike that uh, letter at the very top of the show in The Devil's Advocate that I, I found an underlying point that was particularly interesting, at least for me. All right, so while protests have been happening daily in Louisville since the end of May, city officials made extra preparations for a big influx of demonstrators this weekend. The Black Armed Militia is more formally called No Fucking Around Coalition, or NFAC. The group carries large rifles, wears all black, it's more uh, made up of 100 or more individuals and was last seen marching in Georgia on July 4th, calling on the removal of a Confederate carving. Officials said that the rally was peaceful. Now, the police said it made contact with this group ahead of Saturday's march and also several groups planning to counter protest. Among those mentioned were the Three Percenters, a far-right militia, which advocates gun rights and resistance to government involvement in local affairs. Three people ended up being wounded when a firearm was accidentally discharged Saturday afternoon as demonstrators gathered in Baxter Park. Now, what a lot of the um, other protesting groups were trying to do was band together with the NFAC group, but the local police came rolling in and segmented every group off from each other. What they believed they were actually doing was provoking the protesters by keeping them apart in order to make it seem more disparate and not connected with ultimately what the the point of this is is um racial justice and the destruction of uh, racist monuments um not the counter protesters of course but the police prevented that from happening and um that's supposedly when the accidental firings went off what's interesting about this i think is that there was three people wounded, not critically, and that was it. The other protesters didn't open fire. No one, the police didn't open fire. It was just quietly contained. The uh, victims of the shootings were sent to the hospital, and then the peaceful protest restarted all over again. I propose an idea that if this group of 100 plus black men and women were not carrying firearms, it would have been a different outcome. You see, you may argue whether or not those three people would have been accidentally shot or not. That's a fair statement to make. But the police have been brutalizing protesters all over this country. They've been provoking them with tear gas, providing stacks of bricks for rioting. They've been assaulting 
protesters. They've been shooting rubber bullets in their faces. Literally, people are losing eyes. <laughs> They're being sent to the hospital with broken bones. But when the protesters are carrying, police take a slightly different approach, a little more concerned approach. There's this really great bit that, um, um, oh, sweet hell, oh, I can't remember his name. I just talked about him in a couple shows ago. Um, Chappelle put out uh, saying that everyone, every black man should have a firearm. And there's no better way to get gun legislation nailed down than by every black man openly carrying or openly owning firearms, because that's going to terrify the white men and that's going to force them to rethink their gun laws. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> There's nothing more terrifying to a bigoted white man than a group of black men carrying. It's terrifying to them. The whole idea of racism is that this ethnicity is lower than me. If they're allowed to have the same rights as me, that makes me as bad as them, as weak unto them as they are unto me. It's a flawed and ignorant idea, but the truth is <laughs> armed resistance may be the secret to these peaceful protests. You don't want police to attack you? Bring out your AR-15. <laughs> I don't think anyone should have um, uh, uh, implements of war, as I would call assault weapons, uh, on their person as a civilian. But it's legal. And if it's legal, carry. Bring it out. Make sure it's legal that you're carrying. But if you're going to be in a peaceful protest where it's legal for firearms, show them. Because at least then there's a deterrent on the police officer's side of not abusing your civil rights. And that's the only basis of, of safety that you can afford yourself in these protests. Because now the Homeland Security is being involved. And if there was ever a secret police organization in our country, it's being used as the Homeland Security, where they're detaining individuals, questioning them if they're found not being guilty of any crimes, and they release them back into the fold. But it's operating on a federal level, ignoring state mandates. Which, if you're all for states' rights, if you're all for individual rights and peaceful protest, that's a fucking problem. I find it interesting. And so, yeah. I know a lot of uh, viewers of, of this podcast or a lot of uh, other individuals out there in the world are really anti-firearms. And I get it. But if you educate yourself on how to use them properly, they're not dangerous. And if you present them legally in public, it's true. People will leave you the fuck alone. It's just the reality of it. It was like when the pandemic first hit and everyone was walking around. Some people had masks and some people didn't. Not all the information was known about how this thing is spread. And so everyone had the lethal weapon of their nose and mouth on them at all times. And everyone was really polite and really calm. You didn't have Karens freaking out all over the country at the time. That's what it's like in an armed society. I, I don't, I don't, fully rationalize the absurdity of it but it's fucking true and so maybe if we had 
more people in protests specifically, peaceful protests, legally carrying their firearms, police would uh, think twice before breaking the law and abusing the citizens. Just saying, it works in some cases. It could work in all of them. It's just too easy to abuse a victim-based public. Like, if, if you as a police force, not as an individual, but as a police force, can mow down citizens with zero consequence, and you can't even be uh, brought up on charges after the fact of murdering citizens, what's the deterrent? Everyone goes through moments of craziness in their life. Cops, too. So what's the deterrent? Well, one would be, motherfuckers packing. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't try to stand on his fucking neck when he's got an AR pointed at me. I don't know. Something to think about. <laughs> I know all the, the anti-gun uh, individuals are like losing their minds, but genuinely think about it for a second. You protect yourself. Um, Zachary, it's almost like you can't depend on the government to defend you for your safety. <laughs> Especially when they're the ones overtly violating your personal safety. It's funny. Um, that's all I wanted to talk about with that. Uh, I, I'm glad that there are groups like this out there in the same vein of the Black Panthers from back in the day. Um, just a show of force peacefully does wonders to protect the group. And then you allow your voice to communicate the point of the protest. That is power. Uh, all right, so let's do the second article. Throwing it up here. As concerns about voting build, the Supreme Court refuses to step in. This is from uh, NPR article. Uh, the previous two, if you guys want to look it up, was WLKY.com and well, they both were two different articles on the same protest. Um, okay, so with the pandemic raging and uncertainty brewing, some fear the Supreme Court's chilly attitude towards election lawsuits may add yet another obstacle to a free and fair election this November. The court's most visible decision on voting this year came in April, when on the eve of Wisconsin primary election, a five conservative justices voted to reverse a federal judge's order to expand the state's window for receiving absentee ballots. As voters fearful of voting in person unleashed an avalanche of absentee ballots, in the words of the federal judge, that threatened to overwhelm the state's election system. Thanks to the Supreme Court's decision, thousands of ballots were thrown out for arriving too late. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg dissented forcefully in that case and was joined by her liberal colleagues. She wrote that the court's decision, quote, boggles the mind as a voter cannot deliver a ballot she has not yet received. Yet, tens of thousands of voters who timely requested absentee ballots were asked to do just that. In June, the court rejected a bid by the Texas Democratic Party to remove some barriers to absentee voting, particularly for voters under 65. Earlier this month, the court refused to make it easier for voters in three Alabama counties to use absentee ballots, keeping in place a requirement that voters submit an affidavit signed by a notary public or two adult witnesses. Last week, in a case from Florida, the justices preserved a last-minute order by the 11th Circuit that will bar hundreds of thousands of formerly incarcerated people from voting in August 18 primary and possibly the November general election as well. 
Justice Sonia Sotomayor, joined by Ginsburg and Justice Elena Kagan, accused the court of a trend of condoning disenfranchisement. Quote, we know that we're always in an uphill fight in the Roberts court when we're fighting the voter rights, says Dale Ho, director of the Voting Rights Project at the ACLU. But because of the emergency posture that we're going to be in between now and November, however steep our hill is in normal circumstances, it's only going to get steeper. Chief Justice John Roberts has long been skeptical of voting rights claims, a view that has been in full display this term and will likely weigh heavily on the court's behavior this November. Under Roberts, Charles says we have a court that, you know what, we're not going to get involved. Ultimately, this may give rise to concerns about unregulated democratic process and democratic legitimacy of the election. In 2013, the Chief Justice wrote the court's 5-4 opinion striking down a major provision of the 1965 Voter Rights Act, effectively gutting the law. In his opinion, Roberts said that because the conditions that originally justified these measures no longer characterize voting in states and cities where a history of discriminating against black voters, those jurisdictions could now be trusted to pass new voting regulations and create new congressional districts without fear of discrimination. Who's the ignorant fuck now? That prophecy proved incorrect. No duh. The decision immediately ushered in a bevy of state laws designed to decrease the voting power of minorities and make it harder to vote. Ginsburg, joined by her fellow liberal justices, predicted just such a result in her dissent, saying that taking away voting right protections because black voters were now voting in large numbers was akin to throwing away your umbrella in a shower because you're not getting wet. And look, this is all completely understandable when you realize they don't want you to vote. They would rather you be frustrated with the process, skeptical of the process, or just plain cynical and not vote. You know why? Because your absence at the voting booth ensures their longevity in office and they're pushing their ideas rather than your own. Maintaining control of a subordinate population. That is what this is all about. You can change that by voting. So they don't want you to. It's very simple. And you even have fucking individuals out there doing their work for them saying that you can't change the system. Your vote doesn't mean anything. Don't vote. What the fuck is wrong with you? Do you not care about individual representation? Because that's what voting is. And as a Satanist, sweet fucking hell, how do you throw away your one primary method of affecting the government and your city around you? Weak, pathetic fools don't vote. Fearful sheep don't vote. Powerful individuals that want their voice represented vote. Individuals who want to exert their will on their environment around them vote. So you got a couple options here, people. While the Supreme Court is doing nothing to stifle individual states from disenfranchising you to vote, they're going to be using this massive pandemic as an excuse to have limited voting access in person, and they're not going to expand vote-by-mail options. Now, I am fortunate because my state has always had voting-by-mail, as long as I've been voting anyway, and it works wonderfully. 
but there's always the fallback. So if you have an opportunity of mail-in ballots, do it. And if you don't feel comfortable because you're afraid they're going to be thrown out like they just were here in Alabama, you can always show up and just wait. Now, if Republicans actually gave a fuck about individual liberties or the Constitution, they would make voting a national holiday so that everyone could not worry about losing their job by standing in long lines in order to vote. They could do that. They choose not to because they don't want you to vote. So, throw mud in their eye. Vote. I don't care who you fucking vote for. That's on you. But vote. Participate in this republic because you can actually have an effect. Now, I know some of you are going to say, but it doesn't matter on a national level and my vote doesn't really count anyway because I live in a state that's of the opposite party. Well, that may be the case, but you can change that with your vote in local elections. So don't become disenfranchised. Don't balk at the system. The only reason Trump is in office is because people turned out. And a lot didn't. <laughs> so whomever you're siding for, in these coming elections, I don't care who it is, let your fucking voice be heard. Get out there. Do something about it. I cannot stand apathy in voting. It drives me fucking insane. You live in a society controlled entirely by a government that you have no say in, and you refuse to have a say in it because you're, what, afraid? You don't feel like your feelings matter? Grow the fuck up and get out there and get your little stupid sticker to put on your fucking jacket. Be a grown-up. This is what it means, people. Vote. And I'm going to step down from my soapbox now. <laughs> this is going to be an early show. All right, let's do a creature feature. Brendelfly. All right. I did not expect this yesterday when I was scrolling through Netflix and I just sort of, you know, glass of wine in my hand, not really looking to watch anything. And I stopped on Love on the Spectrum frame and it starts auto playing uh, a trailer. And it showed one of the uh, individuals of this documentary talking. And I scrolled past it. And that brief interaction of that guy talking was enough to make me stop, go back, and hit play. And I'm glad I did. Because as I was sifting through my own fucking tears later, <laughs> while watching this, I realized that there is some genuine beauty to found, be found in this show. Okay, so let me tell you. Love on the Spectrum is an Australian reality television show where uh, produced by Northern Pictures, ultimately for ABC, but then released to um, Netflix. It's available now. 
and it centers around people on the autistic spectrum as they venture into the world of dating, a premise that debunks the long-believed myth that neurodiversity community is not interested in intimacy or romance. And it takes this first-person view of each of these individuals on the spectrum, different severities and stuff, and how they think about relationships, how they desire relationships or how they're actively navigating the relationships that are in. It's very, very interesting. And there's a lot of concern from those on the autism scale, uh, autism scale, because they've been so poorly misrepresented in the public in documentaries like this, uh, where there's a narrative that's created or autism uh, individuals, artistic, autistic individuals are being treated like um, stuffed animals almost, where they're just cutesy and oh look at the innocent cute little stupid creature moving along and so there's a lot of people concerned that this would then be that same narrative and it very much isn't it, it's very very interesting and as as honest in any reality platform as you can be allowing members uh of this show to express themselves and to navigate the engagement with others on the on the um spectrum is very eye-opening for someone like me. Um, Jody Rogers is a relationship expert who meets and works with the autistic individuals on the show, offering up advice and help navigating through um, expectation. Not expectation for autistic people, but expectations for human beings in a dating environment. And that's what I think is so powerful about this, is that it presents an unfiltered view, no lesser magic involved, no pretense of raw, brutal human experience. It's something that you don't get anywhere else. Everywhere, everywhere else you look in reality TV, it's scripted or they force you into a situation where you're just drinking and so you're more open to you know freaking out and fighting or arguing or whatever, creating drama as it were. But what's so interesting about this is just listening to the individual's navigate their own minds and their own environments. It is so raw and unfiltered that it literally made me fucking cry. It was so touching. The, 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 the naked honesty, not because they're autistic, but because they're not hiding who they are. Probably because they just are incapable of hiding who they actually are. And there's something truly brilliant about this in a world that is so focused on cloaking who you actually are. And certainly as Satanists, we can appreciate that idea. Yeah, it can be very helpful. It can help you get navigate uh, opportunities and, and achieve goals. But every once in a while, with those you truly love and care about, it's endearing to be brutally honest and to be open to who you actually are for them. And this is a glimpse to that world. I'm telling you, man, genuinely good. Now, I haven't finished all, I think it's like five episodes or something. I think I finished two of them with my wife. Um, genuinely good. Like, I highly recommend it. I'm definitely one of those people that if, if you can present something openly and honestly, not try to drive a me message with it, but just let it be and let it be interpreted by those watching it, uh, I think you end up with something very strong. And that's exactly what this is. Uh, it's a very strong look into the autistic mind through all of these different individuals. And I found myself sort of shouting at the TV 
in different moments because I, I was finding myself, um, I was finding myself wanting to protect them from the environment, right? Or from the dating scenario as if I didn't see them as an individual adult with their own capabilities. I found myself wanting to shield them. And that was a flaw that I saw in myself that I didn't know I had, that I didn't know was there. And, and you have to realize that because you're on a spectrum doesn't mean that you're incapable of defending yourself or you're somehow less than. It just means you navigate the world differently. And you don't need someone to protect you. You don't need some sort of savior to help guide you through life. That's literally them standing on their own feet. That's what this is all about. And so I, I, I just found the reflection of, of my own inadequacies when witnessing what I perceived as lesser and realizing that I was the one that was wrong, that they're not lesser, they're not more frail, they're just bold, honest. And that doesn't need protecting, that needs encouragement in most cases, I think. And I like that. Anytime you can point out how stupid I am, <laughs> I guess <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> so I highly recommend um, Love on the Spectrum. Uh, maybe you'll learn something about yourself in the process. If you are on the spectrum, which I think anecdotally, I heard a lot of Satanists are from uh, one individual. Um, I find the idea interesting, <laughs> but the spectrum seems to be getting larger and larger as more time is spent examining different traits. And so who knows? Maybe everyone's on the spectrum. It seems like uh, it's just broadening. Um, it'd be an interesting essay, you say, uh, the effects of lesser magic on the subject after they realize they've been charmed. That is interesting. Yeah, that, that, that would require a little bit of uh, trial and error. Get some case studies in there, I think, so that we can have some real objective experience. That could be interesting. Anyway, check it out. It's worth it. It's on Netflix right now. Wow, yeah. I am making this a short episode because you know what? That's it. That's all I had for you today. We're done. I could have done a cold open. I could have padded the beginning. I probably could have dived into some of these uh, articles a little bit more, but I got shit to do, man. <laughs> I got my own life to lead. So thank you all so much for tuning into this early episode of Nine Cents. I appreciate your time. And certainly if you're in the chat room, I appreciate your interaction. Thank you guys very much. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can always subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list so you're notified what I'm going to be talking about and who I'm going to be talking about with and when we're going to be doing it. And of course, this is an audio podcast. If you're not getting this as an audio podcast, and you're wondering, why are there no satanic podcasts? Well, search Reverend Campbell wherever you get podcasts and this one will come up. And if you do like what you're hearing, give me a rating and give me a review. I genuinely appreciate it. But more importantly, it lets other people know that it's worth checking out when it comes across their eyes. All right. So thank you guys once again. I hope you have a fantastic week. And until then, hail Satan. <laughs>